Hey, 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 Albert Tate Podcast here. Listen, I'm so excited that you are tuned in. Thanks for being a part of this season as we talk about the waiting room. Yo, oh my goodness. What you are about to hear is going to bless your life. I'm telling you, uh, thanks for tuning in. Don't stop it. Get somewhere where you can listen to the whole thing. The Spirit of God is all over this interview that I do with a brother named Phil who just so happened to create VeggieTales. Oh, whatever happened to VeggieTales, uh, there's an amazing story behind it. And if you're in the waiting room, if you're in the season, if you need some inspiration, if you need encouragement, if you're a big dreamer, if you got a big dream, if you want to go after something big, listen, stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the style and the life that you're used to. Uh, that's a little Humpty Hump rap quote. All right. You can just tell I'm too excited. Um, the next conversation on the podcast, I'm telling you, it's amazing. So excited. Thanks for listening this season. I'm going to take you right to the interview. Check this out. Hey, welcome to the Albert Tate Podcast. I'm so excited to have my special guest, Phil Vischer in the house. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Albert? I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for taking some time and uh, talking with us a little bit. Filmmaker, author, and creator of VeggieTales. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I, As I read your story, Phil, it's clear that you have a strong affection for God's word and for the scripture. Tell me where that where that comes from. Um, and your passion, not just for the word, but your passion to see other people grasp it, understand it, and capture it in their hearts. That's clear as I see your life's work. Yeah, it, it's really grown uh, over time. I mean, when I, I, I grew up in a, a family of, of ministry, and in some cases, ministry superstars. My, uh, my great-grandfather on my mother's side was the first non-denominational radio preacher in America. Oh, wow. He started, yeah, he started preaching in Omaha, Nebraska on hmm. station WOW in 1923, uh, which was the year after radio was commercialized and, and preached every Sunday morning until he died in 1964, at which point his show was the oldest, longest running radio show in America. So, uh, and he started a Bible and missionary conference in Northwest Iowa. He was friends with you know, guys like A.W. Tozer and Billy Graham uh, oh, all came wow. through, you know, either the radio station or the Bible conference would, would hang out with those guys. So I grew up hearing, you know, amazing stories of amazing people mm. doing amazing things for God. Mm. And I kind of, I was a really shy kid. You know, I was very bashful. I, I didn't really like to go out and do stuff. I like to go down to the basement and, and build stuff, you know, mm. whether it was Legos or then early filmmaking attempts. Uh, so I didn't really see myself. You know, one of my great uncles was the first white man to enter a whole section of Erie and Jaya who brought uh, the gospel to literal cannibals. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. So those were the stories that I heard about <laughs> kind of what, what you did if you were valuable. Wow. Uh, and so I grew up, you know, just wondering, well, what am I going to do that's valuable to God? Mm. Um, 
yeah and i i liked filmmaking and i liked puppets and i didn't really see how puppets would get you anywhere with cannibals uh so <laughs> it was it was hard i couldn't find a picture of myself in the the ministry models yeah you know of the day where where you know a pastor was good but a missionary was better and a missionary to someone who might eat you was best of all <laughs> and a filmmaker just didn't seem to be on the list anywhere so i think my my initial focus um was just trying to find a place you know in a ministry family in a ministry heritage where's where's my place uh, secondly though I, I was motivated i had a strong sense even growing up of kind of right and wrong and and this is healthy behavior or healthy values and these are unhealthy values so when i was a sophomore in high school uh, MTV turned on mm. and, and I'm watching MTV, you know, our neighborhood had just been wired for cable and overnight we went from four channels to 42, wow. and, you know, it was so amazing. And I'm watching MTV, which in the early days of MTV was like a 24 hour film festival. You know, it's just all these experimental videos and animation techniques that people were playing around with. And I thought, this is so cool. That was my first reaction. Mm. My second reaction was, uh, this might be trouble uh, because, <laughs> because the values I'd learned in Sunday school as a kid were not the values that were coming across in the music videos on MTV. Mm. Uh, and I remember thinking, okay, if everyone my age thinks this is as cool as I do, I think that's a problem. Mm. And and that was kind of my moment of, oh, I think I know what I'm supposed to do. Wow. You know, I, I think I know what my big thing is. It's to try to take the values I learned in Sunday school and then use technology and creativity to put them into media. Um, and that was when I was a sophomore in high school. So from then it was just a matter of how, when, where, mm, you know, yeah. How, yeah. how soon. So that's, that's how it all started. Wow. That's a, that's a huge epiphany to have. And as a 10th grader, that's pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I just, I, I, uh, I liked, uh, the Christians that I knew, I looked up to the Christians that I knew, the values of the Bible made sense to me. And, you know, I mean, I, I just, I was ready to engage yeah. and say, all right, you know, let, let me into the arena. Let me, let me, you know, give me like Alexander Hamilton. I want to take my shot, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to waste it. Let me, let me into the room. Let's, uh, let me see what I can do with, with, you know, puppets and computers and, and uh, animated characters and see if I can do something valuable. Wow. So VeggieTales obviously comes along and it hits. What happens between 10th grade and VeggieTales hitting? Like there has to be a season of uh, some characters that we just never heard of that we'll never yeah, see, I... uh, that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, I tried. And the reason, and the reason why I ask that, Phil, is because everyone knows the story of VeggieTales, and everyone wants to see and experience that big breakthrough. But a lot yeah. of times, what they don't realize is that there are a lot of small things that happened in between that season. Right, right. So I, I after uh, high school, I decided I probably needed to go to film school, but that sounded scary. And probably in California, you know, where as far as I could tell, there were no Christians at all <laughs> uh, from what I saw on TV. Yeah. So I thought, well, maybe I should go to Bible college first and mm. then like figure out my theology and stuff and, and then go to film school. Mm. So uh, I have a long history in our family and in, in the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance. 
Alliance denomination. The local closest Christian Missionary Alliance college was uh, St. Paul Bible College up in the Twin Cities. So uh, my sister had gone there for a year to get a Bible certificate. So I thought, well, that's what I'll do. I'll just do what my sister did. I went up there. Um, that's where uh, that you had to do a, some kind of a service project for, for credit. Uh, and, and they were all typically things that favored extroverts, hmm. uh, like street witnessing or, you know, visiting old folks' homes, uh, you know, uh, caring for the poor, things that, uh, that introverts that sat in the basement were not very excited about doing. And then I got to the bottom of the list and it said puppet team. And that was like the last thing on the list. Thought, Wait, you can do puppets for ministry? <laughs> Sign me up. Wow. Um, and uh, another kid tried out for the puppet team the same day I did. It was uh, Mike Naraki, a tall, lanky kid from the suburbs of Denver who was also kind of introverted, but very funny and creative. And uh, he would go on to become the Larry the Cucumber to my Bob the Tomato. Wow. Um, I kind of enlisted him in all my creative endeavors from there on out. So we started doing puppets in Bible college. Uh, they gave us a whole chapel for the whole school to do with puppets, which we, we, we stayed up late writing stuff just for that chapel for a couple of weeks ahead of time. Oh, um, wow. And then after three semesters, we had both uh, uh, skipped or, or overslept so many chapels that we realized uh, we were not allowed to come back for the next <laughs> semester. So we were both uh, invited not to return to Bible wow. college after three semesters. And so he moved back uh, with me to Chicago and I started learning uh, video production um, and then ended up working in advertising downtown. And he kind of tagged along and was learning editing and other things. So we were just learning everything. And that's when I started uh, experimenting with computer animation, mm. uh, looking for characters that I could bring to life. So my, my first idea was, though, I thought animation is too hard and expensive. Maybe Mike and I could do a show for teenagers, kind of like, our, you know, our, the, the, the patron saint of my sense of humor at that time was David Letterman. Um, <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'll be Dave, you know, and Mike can be my sidekick and we'll do like a talk show on VHS for Christian teenagers. Because <laughs> that would be much less expensive yes, than an animated yes. show. Yeah. So I went to some of the Christian publishers in the Chicago area. There are a lot of them. Yeah. But what do you think about this for teenagers? Uh, talk show, me and my friend Mike, uh, you think that could work? <laughs> and they all, to a person, said uh, no. <laughs> no. That could not work. Teenagers don't buy VHS for themselves. Parents buy VHS for their little kids. Hmm. You got to do a show for little kids, not for mm, teenagers. Interesting. And I thought, well, that that leads me right back to animation again, and that's expensive. So I have to figure out a way to do something in computer animation that I could afford to do. And and I realized that it meant the characters had to be really, really simple. Uh, that no one had yet figured out really how to do arms or legs or mm. hair or clothes. I thought, okay, I need naked, bald, limbless characters <laughs> to tell Bible stories in Christian bookstores. 
what what can I do? Wow, you are really creative then, because with that prompt, I would have been in trouble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I thought, okay, so it's objects. It's not it's not animals or humans. It's objects will hmm. be the characters. Uh, and uh, I had seen a, a test of some new software that I was that I was really smitten with, where they'd put they'd animated a salt and pepper shaker on a yellow tile kitchen countertop. And the yellow tile kitchen countertop was so, so cute and cheery. I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make my own yellow tile kitchen countertop. (laughs) I don't want to do salt and pepper shakers. I'm going to do a candy bar. And so Mm. I made a candy bar and I I put a face on him and I could make him bend and he was moving a little bit. And then I just got married and my wife walked by, saw the candy bar on the computer screen and said, you know, moms are going to be mad if you make their kids fall in love with candy bars. And I thought, oh, she's right. <laughs> okay, what's shaped like a candy bar that moms wouldn't be mad about their kids falling in love with? And the next thing that popped into my head was a cucumber. Wow. And uh, that's where VeggieTales came from. Then wow. it was, I did a 10-second test called Mr. Cuke's Screen Test. Hmm. He didn't have a name yet. He just had one tooth and a smile, and that was it. Um, and, uh, I took that 10 second test around to the, all the Christian publishers again and said, okay, look, look, how about this? It's for mm. kids. Like you said, um, will you, I want to do a whole show. Will you give me a big bucket full of money <laughs> so that I can make this <laughs> vegetable Bible show? <laughs> and to a person, they said, uh, no, mm. <laughs> if you go make the show, and bring it back to us, then we could sell it for you, but we're, we're not going to give you a big bucket of money. Interesting. And yeah. And that kind of made me mad. I was like, well, then how am I supposed to make it? You know, if I can't fund it. So I spent about two years knocking on doors and trying to raise and borrow money uh, until a, a couple in our small group at churches down in downtown Chicago came to us and said, you know, we've been watching you do this for two years we think what you're trying to do is too important for us to let it not happen wow Um, and and they wrote me a check for eighty thousand dollars out of their retirement fund wow Uh, yeah and that's what started it so i quit my job i bought a new computer bought the software i needed uh found a a ministry in the middle east that that bought uh christian kids programming to air on satellite in the middle east and they kicked in a hundred thousand dollars on top of that if i could give them 10 episodes and I had no idea if I could give them one episode, much less ten <laughs> But you said yes to the money. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll definitely do what What have I agreed to do. I'll do that. Ten, yeah, sure, why not? Yes, how hard can it be? Let me do one, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and that's, that's what launched it. So I, I tried to do the first one by myself, realized that I was going to die a painful death because Mike Mm. didn't animate. He wasn't an animator. So he was doing helping with voices. So I hired two art school kids uh, from the Chicago area and we took out a little storefront on the North side of Chicago. And the three of us triple shifted on the one computer around the clock for four months and animated the first episode of VeggieTales within the fall of 1993. That's that's, amazing. uh, When it started. Yeah. Now, Phil, so I've got three questions that I want you to think through. Um, okay. In reading the story, I can, I can kind of see this, but I'd love to hear about it. Number one, when did you realize that this is big, that this mm-hmm. is big? Number two, when did you realize this is bad, this is going bad? <laughs> and then number three, when did you come to the place where you said, you know what, this is good? 
This is good. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, that okay. makes total sense. Okay. Well, there was before there was the this is big. There was the this is not working at all. <laughs> <laughs> the first two videos came out in Christian bookstores, and everybody looked at it and thought, "Wait, vegetables telling Bible stories." <laughs> let's see what Dr. Dobson has and at that point focus on the family and Dr. James Dobson were making kids videos. Hmm. So all 10 of the best selling Christian kids videos were from focus on the family and Dr. James Dobson. Hmm. Uh, and he was so trusted, you know, that these yeah. little weird vegetable videos coming out of nowhere, like why on earth would we give that a chance? Yeah. So first year sold almost nothing. Second year started out selling almost nothing. I was about ready to give it up. Say, this just isn't working. And then we, we think what happened was in Christian bookstores where the videos were showing up, college kids worked. Um, and because they were college kids, they weren't allowed to sell important things like Bibles. So they were in the backs <laughs> of the stores selling kids stuff. Hmm. And and they saw VeggieTales come in and, and popped it into the VHS cassette or, uh, player and watched it and thought it was hilarious, you know, because of the Monty Python references and the silly songs of Larry and all the goofball stuff we were doing. And so they just started playing them in the backs of the stores, you know, nonstop, seven days a week. Um, Christian bookstores in the backs became VeggieTales theaters. Wow. And then when moms came in, you know, they said, oh, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. This is hilarious. You'll love this. Wow. And that's, that's what started it. And it didn't really take off. It was Christmas of 1996. So two years after it launched in Christian bookstores, mm -hmm. uh, suddenly it just exploded. Um, and then the news media noticed and we were getting, you know, big art write-ups in, in major market uh, daily newspapers. And then uh, Kmart called and said, hey, can we place an order for VeggieTales? We want to put it in Kmart. And wow. suddenly we had to figure out how to get into, you know, to deal with Walmart and Target. And uh, so the first year, I think we sold 60,000 videos total in, in just only Christian bookstores. And uh, 1996, we sold, I think, 1.5 million. And then, uh, and then, and that was before it hit Walmart and Kmart and everywhere else. Wow. So in 90, 97, I think we sold 3 million. In 98, we sold 7 million. Uh, and in 98 and 99, uh, VeggieTales, those two years together, was the best-selling kids' video property in the world. Wow. Uh, number two was Scooby-Doo, and number three was Pokemon. So not just Christian, just in the no. world, period. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I know. So that's when you kind of get the feel, hey, I think this is working. This is big. This is big. What were those and days like, Phil? Like, what, what, what was it like hitting and having all that come at you all at one time? Um, it was two years of frustration of, darn it, I really thought people would like this, you know, and also getting feedback from people who said, we really like it. Yeah. Uh, but there were only seven of them. <laughs> like, oh man, I yeah. guess it's not working after all. And then suddenly it exploded, you know, and rather than struggling to meet payroll, you're struggling to figure out how to scale up the business side yeah. of it when you've never done anything like that at all. Yeah. You know, and, and someone walks in the door and says, Hey, we want to do a license for Bob and Larry t-shirts and neckties and hats. And like, oh, okay, how does that work? <laughs> wow. How does this, but this is what you do if, you know, cause then I kind of decided 
um, you know, wow, that God's really given me something amazing here. This is the big thing that I'm doing for God. Yeah. You know, just like the, you know, the A.W. Tozers and the Billy Grahams and the R.G. Letourneau's and my great uncle with the cannibals. Yeah, this is I your value. You, this is the thing yeah, you said you were looking for. Yeah, this is my big thing. Yeah. I am the Christian Walt Disney. And that's, I couldn't, that, you know, I, I needed a handle to put on. What yeah. am I exactly? Yeah. yeah. And that was the handle that resonated the most emotionally with me is mm. I'm the next Walt Disney and mm. I'm, I'm Walt Disney for God. And, and that led to all sorts of assumptions that I made <laughs> about what I could try next and whether or not God would show up and bless it. And of course he would, because I was Walt Disney. I was his Walt Disney. Wow. So. So, you know, I just, I started off in it. And I was also, I had this sense that because I am put in such an important place, uh, I have to do as much as I can, as fast as I can, um, mm. because there's no one else who can do this. No one else has been put in the chair that I've been put in mm. with the resources that I now have, um, you know, with the artists that want to work with me and the retailers that want more products from me, the theaters that are, want to show a movie from me. Uh, you know, everyone is so excited about my potential. I cannot mess this up. Mm. Uh, yeah. So we went from uh, I was starting out with three people on staff in 1994. By 1997, I think we had 25 people on staff. By by the end of 1998, we had 150. Wow. Uh, and I was still I think I you know I was 31 at the time. Um, and an introvert and it never, <laughs> I didn't go to prom. I didn't, wasn't in student government. I'd never, not only had I never run a meeting, I'm not sure I'd ever been in a meeting. <laughs> well, any guy that's playing with puppets, I don't know. It's like, well, yeah, this, uh, I know, yeah, I know. not the public guy. I have been doing student government or future leaders of America, <laughs> I, you know, I was taking apart a super eight millimeter projector in the basement trying to wow. do my own special effects. Wow. So, so it it just you know it went from this is huge and this is awesome and this is great and look what God is doing to very quickly this is chaos yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing uh, so I would grab you know I would hire other people and just say you 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 figure this out figure out how to do this um, and give you know people that weren't necessarily connected to me really relationally or emotionally give them way too much authority mm. and kind of hand away my authority because I was so afraid I was going to crash this car mm. that, you know, I really, I should be in the passenger seat and I'll let other people make the big decisions. Um, wow. And that, you know, and that led to people coming in. I didn't always hire wonderfully because I hadn't practiced that as a kid in the yeah. basement either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it. So, yeah, and they weren't bad people, but they just, they, they weren't necessarily experienced in what we were doing, partly yeah. because no one had really ever done what we were doing. It was, yeah, you're out there. I mean, you're out there. Yeah. With, yeah. I mean, your only handle was Walt Disney. You know yes. what I mean? That's the only thing you could grab. Yeah, I and mean, I was looking at what, what his company had become over 75 years and then trying to compress it into, I don't know, yeah. three, four. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were hiring like mad thinking you know we've, we've got this tiger by the tail we're riding this rocket so mm. we, we want to build behind it mm. um so we can take advantage of it and ended up just massively overbuilding. you know we hired way too many people launched way too many side projects uh and and there was this you know obviously at some point 
you've reached all of the people in America who are interested in religious vegetable films. Yeah. You know, that is just, it's not infinite. It's not everyone. There is a wall out there. Yes. Yes. And so when we we finally hit that ceiling, just at the worst possible time, uh, we just launched our own feature film production that was going to cost, you know, like it ended up costing about $12 million of our own, uh, our own cash. Uh, we, we just decided to build, we were going to build a new studio headquarters and it was going to have tours for fans and a, and a theater where you could sit down and watch a family film. So we just launched all of these plans based on, you know, sales have doubled every year for seven years. Let's say they're going to do that for another, at least four or five years. Wow. <laughs> and then they stopped. Absolutely. Sales just stopped growing. And all of these things that we'd launched, suddenly became unaffordable mm. um and we and then that was clear this is big trouble this is mm. absolutely you know this is big trouble and i had people come to me and say phil you are in so much trouble right now what you need to do is cut the company we were up at about 210 people by then when we were in production on jonah our first movie and, and you know people that really cared about me say wouldn't you be happier if you had a small team of about 30 people just focused on the projects that you want to do without trying to be you know walt and, and build disney and and there was part of me that thought oh that sounds so wonderful hmm. but but the other voice in me said no that's not god's will Hmm. You know, God wants me to be Walt. In fact, I think he probably needs me to be Walt because I'm the only one who can do it. Wow. Uh, You know, and Disney and Nickelodeon are having so much influence on kids in America. And it's my job to offset that. It's my job, you know, to bring the Sunday morning uh, to, to kids media in America. So I can't make the company smaller. What I have to do instead is believe that God is going to show up and make all of this stuff work. Uh, so that I can keep chasing this, you know, this Walt dream. Wow. Uh, and then God didn't show up <laughs> to make all of it work. Uh, and we had three or four major projects that failed right in a row. Uh, we ended up in a lawsuit with a distributor because we changed distributors because we needed to bring in more money to fund the movie we were making. Mm. Um, and the distributor took us to court, said, no, you didn't have the rights to change distributors. We said, yes, we did. They said, no, you didn't. It went to court. A jury said, we agree with those guys. We don't no think you had way. the right. Yeah, and they awarded them uh, $12 million in damages, wow. which was on top of the $12 million that we'd committed to spending for the movie that we were halfway through making, and there was just no way to recover from that. So uh, the company uh, uh, flipped upside down and had to file bankruptcy in, in 2003. And uh, that's when my Walt dream came uh, crashing to the ground and, mm. and I found myself, there was a new owner, bought everything, uh, hired about 20 people from the 200, um, moved them to Nashville, Tennessee, because that's where all creative Christians are supposed to live now. <laughs> I'd, I'd been horribly mistaken in being in Chicago yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, and they left me in Chicago by myself. Wow. Um, yeah, and that's uh, that's how that's, <laughs> that was and, 2004. That was my life as of 2004. I was sitting there in the wreckage of my dreams, saying, "God, you want to tell me what just happened here?" Wow. So obviously, that's when it went bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if if I have to point that out, right, to you. <laughs> right, 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 right. Phil, like financially, does that? 
like personally, so for for those that are listening and got a dream, like um, there are just millions of lessons in in your story here. Um, f- financially, you I assume you're by that's by this point you are a millionaire several times over with all of that. Does the bankruptcy affect you personally as well and your family? At, at one point, someone told me that yeah. At one point, a bank said. The company that you have created and own the majority of, in our estimation, is worth about $330 million, and you own 75% of it. And I just remember thinking, cool. (laughs) 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 I guess I don't have to worry about money anymore. So I guess I don't really need to worry about setting aside money for my kid's college. I guess I don't really, you know, I don't need to worry about how much I'm paying myself because when I need money in the future, I can just get it somehow out of yeah. the company. I'm yeah. not sure how that works. You squeeze the company and then money comes out yeah. when you need it. <laughs> uh, so when the bankruptcy happened, you know, the value of the company went from $330 million to $0. Mm. And because I hadn't taken money out of the company, <laughs> there was just... Like, oh, wow. wow. Okay, so that's not there. That's not something I can rely on anymore. We didn't lose our house, which was which was nice because I got a consulting contract from the new owners uh, to help them. And that consulting contract, you know, helped me uh, just kind of pay the bills and, wow. until I figured, figured out what to do next. But wow. to go from, <laughs> you'll never have to worry about money again. <sighs> You know, to oh, never mind. Actually, you you don't have any money. Wow. <laughs> little, wow. Yeah, it's not not a fun experience. Oh my but, you know. So something big, something bad, and years later now, what's been the journey? It's like a this season is all about the waiting room and being in that place where you kind of have either lost it all or you're expecting God to do something new or wondering what just happened to you. So yeah. it sounds like this is a waiting room moment. What what happened in the waiting room to to get you to the place to where you can see I'm good yeah. and all is well? Yeah. Uh, as everything was falling apart, I think I was either just back from the bankruptcy trial or on my way to the bankruptcy trial. I got a call uh, from a big Christian university, and they wanted to know if I would be their spring commencement speaker. Hmm. And I, w- I was trying to picture myself in front of you know 2,500 fresh-faced, excited Christian <laughs> graduates <laughs> who want to be just like me and do big <laughs> things for God, and encourage them. Hmm. And I couldn't. And I just said, I can't. I, I got nothing to say. I can't. I can't do it. And they said, well, uh, we have a winter commencement in five months. Um, would you commit to do that one? And so I kind of made a deal with God. I said, okay, God, I'm going to commit to doing this in five months and you have five months to give me something to say. Wow. Uh, Cause right now I have nothing. And, uh, and then I just, you know, I mean, the, the gift from God was that, that, that consulting deal that mm. I had, which meant I didn't have to go out and just, and like find another job immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I was okay. So I just spent my time reading the Bible and praying, um, for about three months. That's really all I did was just read the Bible and pray mm. and, and ask God to unpack all of this, you know, to tell, I've described it later as at the end of every Veggie Tales video, we say, now it's time to sing the, what have we learned song? <laughs> 
and that was me after the bankruptcy. It's like, okay, time to sing the whatever you learn song, God. Give me, give me something. Um, and wow. my wife, my wife had bought, I'm a fan of uh, Henry Blackaby, the Baptist church planter who wrote uh, Experiencing God, yeah. uh, the Bible study, which, which was really kind of a, a really popular Bible study in the mid-1990s, I yeah. think. Uh, my wife discovered that he wrote another study on leadership on on the life of Samuel, and she bought it for me. And then she decided, and this is right when I'm going, he's starting to get into trouble. Uh, and then she thought, no, if I'm if I give him this, then I'm trying to be his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit needs to be his Holy Spirit. Hmm. So I'm just going to set this in our bookcase in our bedroom, uh, in the middle of the bank after I got back from the bankruptcy, so everything was had fallen apart. I'm sitting on the, the the bench at the foot of our bed, and I'm like too depressed to put my shoes on. Mm. And I, I look over to the side, and in the bookcase, I see Blackaby on a spine, and it wasn't experiencing God. And I thought, wait, I, he wrote something else? I didn't know that. And I pulled it out, and it was a study on leadership. And I opened to the first week to the first day, and it said, uh, uh, if what you have told your people you are trying to do for God, it is not working. It may be that what you want to do did not come from God, but just from your own head. And God is not calling you to have to be impactful. He's calling you to be obedient. Wow. And I, and I kind of just suddenly looked back at the last 10 years and thought, well, did, did God actually ever ask me to be Walt Disney? Hmm. I was, no, he, he didn't. Why did I want to be Walt Disney? Because I didn't know who I was. You know, because I'm I'm a middle child. My dad walked out when I was nine years old. I was shy. I didn't really have a sense of identity. And so I wanted to latch on to someone else's identity. And as I'm reading this and, and diving deeper into the Bible, God is, is pointing out, do you know, do you remember how miserable you were when you were trying to, to carry that rock up the hill, you know, that, mm. that I never asked you to carry, that I didn't wire you to carry? I wired you. I, I made you shy. You know? I made you an introvert. Um, I made you a kind of a cave creative that likes to go off by yourself and make things. And you tried to turn yourself into something else. And it made you miserable. It put me in the hospital. Hospital. Uh, I had uh, pericarditis when I was 30. I had shingles when I was 31. Oh, wow. uh, so, so it was just a, a whole season of, yes, I know I'm miserable, but I'm doing important work for God. So I think you're supposed to be miserable. Mm. And I, I remember I was reading the fruit of the spirit one night. The fruit of the spirit is peace, joy, love. You know, I go through the whole list. I was like, well, where's stress? <laughs> where's, <laughs> why? Where's, shouldn't stress be on here? Because I'm exhibiting that in abundance. <laughs> I've got a harvest. <laughs> yes, and I realize stress is not a fruit of the Spirit. And not only that, but the fruit of the Spirit, the ones that are on the list, I was not exhibiting because I was so cranky as I'm trying to put this, push this rock up a hill to do something big for God. Wow. And so, so I realized that, that God let my dream fall apart, not because he didn't love me, but because he loved me so much and he wanted to save me from myself. Mm. And that his relationship with me was more important than the work I could do for him. Mm. So the big, uh, the eye opener for me in, in, you know, in this waiting room was um, I had made the work I was doing for God more important than my relationship with God. 
And, you know, the, the, the peace, joy, and love that Paul talks about doesn't come from working for God. It comes from walking with God. Mm. Uh, and if you're not willing to do that, you really shouldn't be trying to do anything for God because it's just not going to go well. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt those around you. You know, it affected all my employees. It affected my family. Uh, so for God to just say, you know, I care about you so much that I am going to do something that is going to hurt a great deal. Oh, wow. But on the other side of it, you will be a new person. Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, and that's what happened to me. So I went oh, out. Wow. To, it was at a Biola University where I gave the commencement address. And uh, five months later, I went out to, to Biola uh, and stood up in front of everybody to give what I thought would probably go down as the worst commencement address in, <laughs> in uh, the history of commencement addresses. And said, whatever you're excited about doing for God, you know, whatever your dream is, how you want to change the world for God, can you let it go? Uh, can you put it on the altar? let it die and live your life without it. Because then if you can, if you can rest only in your relationship with God and completely let go of what you want to do for God, then you're in a position where he can use you. Wow. And uh, yeah, instead they said it was the first uh, standing ovation they could remember at a biola commencement. Uh, mm. And the head of the business school came up afterwards and said, I'm going to make that required listening for every business student that comes through here. Mm. So that led to um, uh, uh, Willow Creek Church reached out and said, we just heard the talk you gave at Biola. Would you come and give it to all of our uh, children's pastors at a, a huge children's pastors conference? And I said, OK. And that <laughs> led uh, Christianity Today magazine to saying, we heard the talk you gave at the Willow Creek Children's Pastors Conference. Uh, could we turn that into a feature story? And I said, oh, OK. And then that hmm. led uh, a couple of Christian publishers to calling up and saying, could you turn that into a book? I thought, well, this is not what I do. <laughs> this is, I make funny videos for small children. <laughs> I do not. But I realized that God was giving me a whole new ministry mm. out of that. You know, when 40-year-old when men would come up to me in tears and say, we always talk about our successes in church. We never talk about our failures. Mm. You know, thank you so much. So I wrote a book about that, and I've been doing a lot of, you know, telling that story over and over again. Um and just seeing how God can use my failure every bit as much as he can use my success. Wow. Phil, that is, I mean, you want to talk about a waiting room and God showing up. Um, I, I just know that's encouraging to me, and I know that's so encouraging to our listeners. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing sharing that story oh man when yeah you well it doesn't do anybody any good if, <laughs> if i don't share it <laughs> then it's just me saying yeah. gee i sure learned something valuable yeah so what is what is what does life look like now uh post that speaking ministry obviously a book what what is the creative what what's in what's happening in the cave with you creatively yeah. these days uh <laughs> I've done a bunch of, of stuff that's all smaller, a uh, smaller scale, partly because the world of media has gotten just so bizarre. Yeah. You know, either, yeah. either you're making a $200 million Avengers movie or you're making, you know, cat videos for YouTube. It's just like, <laughs> and they both equally have millions of hits. That's the yes, frustrating oh yeah, thing. <laughs> and they have the same size audience. Yes. <laughs> yes. Audience. What you're not making anymore 
our, you know, VeggieTales were 40-minute DVDs that cost a million dollars each to produce. Hmm. That does not exist hmm. anymore. That's not a thing anymore. Hmm. Uh, the mm. closest thing, you know, comparable to that is is Netflix uh, TV shows. Yeah, you know, where you might make ten episodes of something for a million dollars each, but they're not terribly interested in religious vegetables. Yeah, that's the thing you want to invest that kind of money in. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of Bible teaching content. I did a series called What's in the Bible, um, that was a mix of animation and puppets and yeah. me on camera teaching, because uh, I really felt God telling me, you know, when, when I finally cleared my head and realized I was staring at a blank piece of paper and could start over from scratch, um, I heard God telling me to take kids deeper, you know, mm. take kids deeper that I'd spent 10 years, you know, trying to convince kids to behave Christianly without actually teaching them Christianity, mm. um, you know, and that's fine for the kids that are good at following the rules. It doesn't help the other kids at all. Yeah. So, yeah. So I've just, I slowed down and said, all right, Genesis, <laughs> let's start there. That's so good. And, That's yeah. So good. And I've been, and so I just wrote a kid's Bible, uh, called the laugh and learn Bible for kids, which is, is, uh, it's a storybook, uh, picture book Bible that is 52 stories from the Bible, starting with creation and ending with uh, new creation, new heaven, new earth mm. to give kids an overview of the narrative structure of the entire Bible. Um, so they can find their own place in that story. That's and, and that's, yeah, and that's what I'm motivated by is like yeah. the, every kid is looking for a story that helps them make sense of the world. Mm. And if we don't teach the Bible in a way that makes sense to kids, they're going to go somewhere else to find that story. Yeah, to find that story. You know, there, there are kids now that are using uh, the Harry Potter. Uh, books as their quote sacred texts mm. you know this is i'm finding my morality not you know what would jesus do but what would dumbledore do you know that's wow um yeah because no one presented the bible to me in a way that engaged my heart hmm. phil what's your relationship now with VeggieTales? Uh, well, I'll bump into Bob and Larry, like at the grocery store, you know, and kinda, <laughs> that like, was easy. Oh, that was too oh, easy. Hey. I just set you up for that. That's too yeah, easy. Oh. Too easy. <laughs> oh, hi. Oh, you okay? Everything? Yeah. Oh, we're good. Oh, okay. Good. It's nice I, to, nice to see you. I That's love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Maggie Tales has gone through four different companies hands since, uh, since the bankruptcy. And it just ended up two years ago at uh, universal NBC universal, which is oh. one of the biggest media companies in the world. And I kind of thought when that happened, uh, well, that's the end of it. They're not even going to know that they own it. They're so big. And it's going to be like, you know, the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when they put the Ark of the Covenant in the box <laughs> and then wheel it off into the government warehouse of yeah. infinity. And uh, that's where Bob and Larry are now, right next to the Ark of the Covenant in the government warehouse. Oh, no. And, and instead, I got a call uh, from uh, the Trinity Broadcast Network, the big you know Christian yeah. broadcaster, who had approached Universal to ask if they could try to do something new with VeggieTales. And then both Universal and TBN reached out to me and said, hey, would you come back and try to make some new VeggieTales episodes that feel like the old ones from the early years? Hmm. And I was like, yeah, I could do that. That would be fun. So we're doing uh, 18 new VeggieTales episodes that'll air on TBN and then go to streaming services. 
that will feel, you know, it's a, a different context. We put Bob and Larry in a, in an old theater where they have to put on a variety show, kind of like the Muppet show. <laughs> and you get to see how frustrated Bob gets behind the curtain when things mm. are going so poorly. Um, but I'm pulling in many more, you know, like smaller, uh, less popular Bible stories because, you, you know, in a, in a format like that, you can do a 10 minute Bible story or a five minute Bible story uh, and just trying to take kids deeper into the word through Bob and Larry again, of, of all things. Wow. Um, but, you know, but as kind of a freelance writer, which is a different experience, but, you know, it's how God has me interacting with those characters right now. Hmm. What was it like? And, and, and we're wrapping up. This is my last question. Thank you so much for the time. Um, what was it like being invited back into a VeggieTale world after such a traumatic season? I, yeah. What's the emotion okay. there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Part of me never left it just because I'm the voice of about half the characters. Got it. And so that was one of the one of the ways you know that I paid the bills Did right after consulting the consulting deal with the initial guy. Okay, yeah, was Got like it. you you actually they they realized we really need that guy, or all the characters are going to sound different, <laughs> and everyone's going to notice <laughs> that something bad has happened. Hmm. So, uh, so the trouble with that was I no longer had any say in the words that were coming out of the characters' mouths. Mm. Yeah, and there's that sense of, but if, but if I, if, if I don't control them, how do I know they're speaking for good? Mm. You know, even though some of the, my friends still work there and they were saying, you know, this is still, we're still targeting the faith audience. Yeah. So yeah. We're not going to go off and do, you know, Hindu veggie tales yeah. or atheist <laughs> veggie tales. Um, <laughs> But and I was I was actually praying about that because I was I was really getting angry with myself. Hmm. Thinking these characters are so well known, and I could be using them to do so much good, but I lost control of them. Hmm. Uh, and I was you know kind of beating myself up about that and praying about it one day. And I I heard God say very distinctly to me one of the few times I've really like oh that was totally God talking. Hmm. Uh, but He said, "Did you ever really think you were in control?" Wow. Yeah, I thought oh. Right. <laughs> wow. Right. They were never my characters. They were always your characters. You knew this was going to happen. Nothing has happened where God said, oh, no, now what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> now my my will is completely offline hmm. because Phil Vischer does not own the vegetables hmm. anymore. <laughs> I realized, okay, this is yours. You know, this has always been yours. Then I could just say thank you for the gift of sustenance of hmm. letting me still be involved tangentially with these characters. Amen. Amen. You know, but also, you know, every time a new owner came in saying, oh, I wonder if I'll get a phone call. <laughs> you know, yeah. I wonder, yeah. I wonder if someone will say, didn't that guy have something to do with this? Yeah. And, you know, it finally happened uh, a year ago. And I've written in the last year, 10 new VeggieTales episodes. The first ones I've written in, I think, 12 years. Wow. And yeah, I was actually afraid, are the characters going to talk again when I sit down at a blank mm. piece of paper? Or it's been so long that I've lost their voices. Yeah. You know, and I just I just started writing. It's like the back door of the stage opens up, and Larry the cucumber runs in, and he immediately started talking. And he's like, "Hey, Bob, here I am." <laughs> it's like, oh, of course they still talk. <laughs> they never stop talking. That's so beautiful. It's, yeah, it's been really fun to be back into it. That's amazing. Well, we'll end how we began. You talked about finding your value in the world. Um, if I was to ask Phil of twenty nineteen. 
Where do you find your value? Where does it come from? How would you answer that now in this season of your life? Yeah, uh, my value is that I'm a, I'm a child of God. Wow. I'm a child of God, and he invites me into work as I walk with him, not because he needs me to do the work, because he actually doesn't. He has no needs. Mm. Uh, he invites me to do work as I walk with him, and that work produces joy. It's not my value. It's my joy. Yeah. So distinguishing joy from worth. Wow. You know, I, I can have worth and be grumpy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, so I, I rest in my worth just as a child of God, because he loves me even when I'm not doing anything. Yeah. And that was very hard for me to accept from my family of origin, hmm. you know, where, where value was attached to, to how much you're doing for God at, yeah. at you know, what a young age, especially. Um, so I am valuable because God made me and he loves me. Beautiful. End of story. And now, but that's not the end of the story, because now he says, hey, Phil, let's go for a walk. Yeah, there's some fun stuff that we can do together. That's like, good. Yes, let's that's go good. do some fun stuff together. Ah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. If if it wouldn't scare the listeners half to death, I'd take this microphone and drop it because you just <laughs> dropped it. But I don't want to scare people who are on the treadmill. So I'll just say <laughs> thank you. And um, wow, this is going to inspire a lot of people. And I'm the first one in line. Thank you so much, well, Phil. Thanks. And remember, kids, God made you special and he loves you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Albert Tate Podcast. To stay connected, make sure to subscribe to the Albert Tate channel on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And visit albertate.com for even more quality content. You can also follow along with Albert on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Albert Tate Podcast.